My name is Steve. For those of you who don't know me, I am, I'm on the leadership team here, and it is a great joy to be serving you in um, preaching the word to you this morning. Umuntu. Umuntu, Gubuntu, Gubantu. Umuntu, Gubuntu, Gubantu. A person is a person through other people. I am an African. And although I might not look African, my Africanness flows deep within the blood of my veins. And for most of my life, I've lived in South Africa. And for those who know me or any South African for that matter, you can't deny that we are a people that are passionate about being South African. And despite our beautiful country's checkered past, you see, it's, it's hard to deny that for the most part, we are a people. We're a people that have been shaped by the struggle of black liberation. We've been shaped by our culture and our history and our experience of life. But the truth is, we are all being shaped by something. When people ask me, what is the biggest difference between Canada and South Africa, or South Africans and Canadians, a few things come to mind, but it's not some of the obvious ones, like it's minus 40 in winter, or that South Africans don't say A, or that's something I've become accustomed to doing. But I think the deeper thing is that our cultures and who we are form us and shape us. I am formed by the world that I grew up in, um, and I have a different way of seeing the world, a different worldview, if you like. And for those who've had the privilege of living in a different country, and many of us here may be immigrants, Canada might not be our, the country of our birth, but many of you who have had the experience of maybe even traveling overseas, you have come to experience the different rhythms and culture and heartbeat of different places. And if you have eyes to see, you can recognize both the beauty and the diversity of our humanity in these different places. For me, my context was South Africa, and it was from this soil that the philosophy of Ubuntu shaped me in more ways than I can imagine. Ubuntu, Gumuntu, Gubantu. A person is a person through other people. This philosophy derives from the Nguni word, which essentially means the quality of being human. It reveals a worldview that we owe our personhood, who we are, to others. That we are first and foremost social creatures. And that, if you, if you will, no man is an island. Or as the Africans would say, one finger cannot pick up grain. The notion of Ubuntu comes smack up against our Western, radically individual worldview. And if we are to take seriously the library of Scripture, which is the Bible, we see a story unravel that stresses that Christian belief is that true identity is both shaped by and discovered in relationship with others. And I think one of the clearest expressions of this reality can be found in this philosophy of Ubuntu and in the saying, Ubuntu, Ubuntu, Gubantu. At the heart of the statement is this word Ubuntu, which means humanity. It means humanness or humaneness. And it articulates a basic respect for and a compassion for the other. Furthermore, Ubuntu expresses that our identity is developed through our interaction with others over time. 
And thinking upon this, I believe that it ultimately raises a question that is deeply connected to our discipleship of Jesus. And as we see in our text for today, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Romans and um, the first part of Romans sort of chapters 1 to 11 is all about Paul unpacking what is it that we believe? What is it that we believe as Christians? And the second half is how does that inform the way that we behave? And how we behave towards one another fundamentally is shaped by what we believe. And what we believe about Jesus, we will inform, it will inform us how we live and how we treat others in return. And this is how we arrive at the chapter for today. And this raises one of the most important questions we can ask ourselves. Who are we becoming? Because we're all becoming something. Who are we patterning and shaping our lives on? Over the past couple of weeks, our Rhythm of Life series, we've been exploring what it looks like to have an intentional vision for becoming who God has made us to be as we follow Jesus. If you're joining us here for the first time, you can look on our website or maybe catch up on the podcast because I really believe that this series is life-changing in more ways than one. But we do this as a church. As a community, we live these rhythms of upward, inward, outward, withward, and at God's speed. We live upward. We seek to make Jesus the central pursuit of our lives. We live inward, becoming like Jesus in our innermost being as he transforms us. And we live outward. We follow Jesus everywhere in every part of our life. And he invites us to live and love and serve others for the sake of the world around us. But today we will focus on how we also do this withward because discipleship is not a lone pursuit. It is done with other followers of Jesus. In fact, there is no such thing as a solo Christian. So the big idea for today is that community plays a vital role in our transformation. It is really only in Christian community with one another that we can become who Jesus has called and created us to be. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 12 with me. And we didn't read the first two verses, but it's going to set the stage for us today. So I'm just going to go back to verse 1. Um, you will know it well. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Christian community in Rome. And to give you a bit of context, these Christians will likely have come to faith at Pentecost when, uh, when Peter is preaching and 3,000 people came to faith that day and they would have scattered across the, um, the Roman Empire and have come to congregate together in Rome. Some of these might have been believers who had come to faith through that community, but this is the people that Paul is addressing. And it's foundational for us to understand that um, this only makes sense once Paul has articulated what is it that they believe. And Paul's main point is that the gospel that we believe, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has come and he's died for our sins. And when things aren't as how they should be, Jesus comes to help us put things back together how they were intended to be. 
And that forgiveness is available in faith in Christ and as a result showing believers what they can experience in this new faith and in this new community. At the heart of our Withward Rhythm is a simple call, together. Together, through the strength of God's mercy, we present ourselves, our bodies, everything that we are to be living sacrifice. Bodies is plural and sacrifice is singular. Together, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are being unified in the way of Jesus. And this is closer to the idea of Ubuntu, Ubuntu in our culture than what our current cultural moment is. The other day I was um, traveling back from Vancouver airport and I was, in the, I was on the Canada line and you know how it goes, you're sitting in the train and you're surrounded by all these people who are silent and kind of focusing at their phones and um, getting really just caught up into the world of what they are doing. And they're kind of drifting off into fantasy land and um, nobody is speaking to one another. And nobody seems to speak to a stranger. A patrol, I see a patrolling security guard, uh, which reminds me that people are not there to help each other. My eyes wander to the walls of the train, covered by invitations to buy more products. I see, a young, I see young and beautiful people enjoying each other's gentle embrace. Playful men and women smiling at each other in fast sailboats. Proud explorers on horseback riding, encouraging each other to take brave risks. Fearless children dancing on sunny beaches and charming girls ready to serve men on airplanes and ocean liners. I too then am compelled to take out my iPhone and to join in. I open up Instagram. I start scrolling through my feed of endlessly curated pictures, adventurous people doing things that I can only dream of. And for a moment, I feel connected. But in that process, I'm pulled out of my reality and into a world that causes my heart to imagine something that is not mine. And you know the thoughts that inevitably follow, don't you? That will never be my life. I will never amount to much. I will never be able to date somebody like that. I will never have a relationship like that. I will never be enough or do enough. And before long, we left realizing that we feel empty because our life is not how it looks online. And even though we know that it's not real, we still believe it to be. You see, community together has become social media, which is in disembodied state, a world of flickering pixels. And while it's meant to connect us, and indeed, in best it can, it also has the inverse effect. We become lonely. And you've heard it said before that Vancouver is one of the loneliest cities in North America. It's a lonely, it's, loneliness is pervasive and we feel it at every level. We feel isolated and disconnected. Loneliness is one of the most universal sources of human suffering. And the roots of loneliness often go very deep and cannot be touched by an optimistic advertisement or substitute love images or social togetherness. And we end up feeling distracted and we often medicate ourselves 
I mean, I've been there. I've felt the pang of loneliness in the city where I go onto Instagram or Facebook or whatever you use these days and you literally just like want to refresh your feed like every two seconds to find out if somebody has like liked one of your pictures or if somebody has sent you a message because we just crave in a deeper connection of some sort. The great spiritual writer Henry Nouwen wrote, as long as we're trying to run away from our loneliness, we are constantly looking for distractions with the exhaustible need to be entertained and kept busy. We become passive victims of a world asking for idealized attention. We become dependent on shifting uh, change of events leading us to quick changes of mood, capricious behavior, and at times revengeful violence. Then our life becomes a spastic and often destructive sequence of actions and reactions pulling us away from our inner selves. We are often very, very busy and usually very tired as a result. Anybody like that? This all impacts the vision of community that we have. It impacts the way we do community or how we give our bodies to live withward. I was reading through the scripture the other day and I came across the psalm, Psalm 68 verse 8, and it says that God puts the lonely into families. And as a result, the scripture gives us a vision of what a Christian community is like. Because at the heart of it, we are created for community. We are created in the image of God which means that we are created out of relationship for relationship. One of the most important things that we can know is that at the center of the universe is a relationship, and we are desired and we are created from that. Identity in and through others is defined by who we are being made in the image of God. And to be fully and truly human, we need to find ourselves in relationship to the one who made us and for whom we are made. And we can only know this through a relationship with the Father, through Jesus, and by his Holy Spirit. And this is what the Apostle Paul is getting at in the first, book of Rome, the first part of Romans. We know that Christian community is not something that we can just manufacture or an ideal that must be realized. It is something that is a gift that is from God and that we are invited to participate in. And really, the Bible uses two metaphors to describe this, to depict this. The first one is family. The Greek word is okios, which is really a household. And if you think of a household, what happens in a household? Well, we share things. We do things together. You eat together. You live together. And you work together. In Ephesians 1 verse 5, it says, We have been adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. We have been all and called out to become a part of a family. The next metaphor is the body, and we'll talk more about this in a bit, but the body is something that we are united in, in Christ. There is unity, but there is diversity, and we have different functions in the roles that we play in the body. But the most distinctive part of a Christian community is that it is defined by the Spirit, Christian community is a spirit-filled community that models a distinctive way in which we do life in the world. I love that Leslie Newbegin, um, a missiologist and missionary to India, he talks about the church, God's people, being a sign, a sacrament, and a foretaste. A sign to point us, a sign, a community that points us towards Jesus, a sacrament, a place where we experience the kingdom and, and who Jesus is, and a foretaste of the kingdom to come. 
Jesus talks about his people in Matthew 5 being a city on a hill that shines and shows the whole world the glory of God. But often there is a gap between our idea of community and the messy reality of community. Discipleship happens in the space between. It is this dynamic movement towards each other, withward, and ultimately towards God, using our unique spirit gifts to build us up according to God's purposes. Now, for many of us, we think we can go from loneliness to community, and we see community as the answer to our loneliness. But the reality is community is not our savior or our salvation. Jesus is. But Christian community through Jesus and in Jesus. No Christian community is more or less than this, but we come to encounter Jesus in and through one another. The beginning of our withward rhythm is the recognition that this type of community described by Scripture, by Jesus, Paul, and many others, is impossible without the Spirit of God. But when we invite the Spirit of God to meet us, when we ask Jesus to dwell in us, the Spirit gladly answers. It is in this embodied space that we invite the Spirit of God and He comes. He gives us a concrete idea of what it is like to be the body of Christ and form us into Christ-likeness. And together through the power of the Spirit, we become like Jesus because we meet Jesus in the other. So I'm going to give us five ways of how we can live withward that enables us to be formed and shaped to become like Jesus. And the first is that living withward enables us to become a community that is shaped, shaped and saturated by grace. In chapter 12, verse 3, Paul says, For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think but to think of yourself with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned you. You see, when we choose to follow Jesus and we're filled with the Spirit, we are adopted into His family. And Paul exhorts the Corinthians as well that when we become followers of Jesus, we become new creations. We become a new humanity. The old is gone and the new has come. And it's nothing that we've done to earn this. It is a gift of grace. And as a result, Christian fellowship is a gift of grace. It's a gift of the kingdom of God. And as a result, there is no space for any arrogance or any pride in the body of Christ. We come to accept one another just as Christ has accepted us with all our faults and failings. We're in this together, which means that we have equal concern for one another. In Peter's letter, 1 Peter Five, verse 5, it says, clothe yourself with humility. Living withward in this way enables us to become a community saturated and shaped by grace. In verse 4, um, Paul writes, for as in one body we have many members, the members do not all have the same function. So living withward involves our bodies. It involves all of us. It involves presenting our bodies to Christ and to each other. While technology can assist us with this, we are designed for in-person engagement, an embodied experience of each other. And when Paul speaks about the body, he's speaking about the people of God. And how does God um, gift us? Well, he gifts us through his spirit and he gifts one another so that we can build the body up. This is really important to know that we aren't given 
gifts or spiritual gifts for our own benefit, but we are given them for the building up of the body. Sometimes when we talk about spiritual gifts, and Paul also talks about them at length in 1 Corinthians verse 12 and through 14, and often we can think about gifts as spiritual gifts, but that kind of gets at the idea that we have to be spiritual to receive these gifts. And it's important to know that, no, they are rather spirit gifts. They're gifts that are, that are grace gifts that are given to us, um, even uh, with sort of un- not deserving them, but they're given for the benefit of the building up of the church. The Greek word here is melios, which is a common word for any part of the body. And Paul is essentially saying, you are the limbs, the organs of one another. You are the eyes, the arms, the heart, and we are profoundly interdependent. We cannot actually function completely without one another, which means that every one of you plays an important part of the body. So what talents, what gifts are you using to help build up the church? And in what ways are you cultivating your gifting? If you don't know your gifts or if you want to get to know your gifts, join us on one of our Rhythm of Life retreats where we explore and dive deep into what that could look like in your life and how you can contribute to St. Peter's as a whole in this way. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it in, his, in the message. He says, in this way, we are all like various parts of the human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as part of his body. But as a chopped off finger or a cut off toe, we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned in all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let us go on ahead and be what we're made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something that we weren't. God gives every single person gifts and every single gift is given for the common good. Secondly, living withwards means that we rarely love each other. I know that the word authentic is thrown around a lot these days, hashtag authentic, but we rarely need to love each other. What does that mean? In verse 9 to 11, Paul writes, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. This means that we need to accept each other for who we are not a future version of ourselves, but we accept each other for who we are. We affirm equality in in Christ, which means that we should be quick to celebrate and cheer each other on. In this community, we should be a community that should be a cheerleader of one another. It means that we should be kind and compassionate to one another. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, says, may your love increase and overflow for each other. The physical presence of other Christians is the source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. Are we a community that really are marked by this? Living withward means that we really love each other authentically. Number three, living withward means that we share our hopes and our dreams as well as our struggles, needs, and disappointments. 
One of the things that compelled me to come to St. Peter's was our namesake, St. Peter's Fireside, which is all about the story of Peter encountering Jesus at these two different firesides, the one where he denies who Jesus is, and then the other fireside after Jesus um, has been resurrected by the beach, and he, um, and he says again to Jesus, um, this is who, you know, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. And really, Jesus meets Peter both in his failing and where he fails, but he picks him up in his grace and he establishes his church with Peter. And I think that's amazing because it depicts that we are a community that meets each other both in our failings and when we do get things a little right. A few years ago, I had uh, two different couple friends. They were married, and um, they, the one had been trying to have kids for, an, for quite a while, and they weren't able to get pregnant for a while. And then this other couple just started trying, and they just got pregnant just like that. And it was this, it was this kind of weird tension because in, in that moment, there was a lot, I was experiencing a lot of joy, being really thankful that my one set of close friends um, had got pregnant. And um, if, a week or two later, the other couple got pregnant. So was kind of happy for a while, but then there were some complications. And, um, and they ended up having to move, remove one of um, the woman's ovaries. And so there was this tension between joy and pain. And what it would look like for us to be a, a community that shares in both our hopes and our joys, but also in our struggles and our disappointments. Paul writes in verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And in verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. I think when Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on Mount, you know, his, his famous teaching, he's teaching about this is what it means to live the way of the kingdom. What strikes me is that I think he assumes that it would be messy, that we are people who will sin. We are people, um, there are people that will sin against you, against me. We live in a broken world. We live in a world where we get angry, um, where we fight, where we are selfish. We will be shipwrecked by greed and pride and addiction. We will experience anxiety and depression and lust, but it doesn't have to have the last word. You know, Jesus expects that we are living in this tension between the now and the not yet. And Paul advocates for us to rejoice in hope, be patient in our times of trouble, carry each other's burdens, and pray always. Fourthly, living withward means that we share our resources. You know the verse in Acts 2, uh, 44, well, where it says, all believers were together and they had everything in common, selling their possessions, and, and as they gave to the poor. Living withward means we become a community of radical generosity, which means we gather around tables and we share food together. We share our lives with one another in whatever capacity and with whatever gifts that the Lord has given us. Jesus um, is famous for knowing love your neighbor as you love yourself. Are we living that out? I think it's easy for us to come here uh, Sunday after Sunday, week in, week out, and we hear these teachings and we kind of take it at surface level. But do these things get into our hearts? Do they change the way that we live? Living withward in this way really leaves us with no other option but to live 
with this idea that we really need to love our neighbors more than we love ourselves. And one of the ways that we can do this is to practice hospitality, is to share our resources with those who don't have the same ones as we do. And fifthly, living withward means that we serve each other through forgiveness and reconciliation. Paul writes in verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as your life depends on it, live peaceably with all. Again, building on this teaching of Jesus' teaching of love your neighbor as you love yourself and his revolutionary command of love your enemies. That might be just a nice saying, but it starts with us. It starts with us in here, in this place where we can come to one another and we can confess our sins to one another, where we can be forgiven, where true reconciliation can take place. Because I really believe that when the gospel is lived out in our withward rhythm, we find our identity in Jesus. And this calls us to be compelled to worship. We love one another and we'll have compassion on those who are far from God. As we are transformed by the gospel, our communities will become places where other people want to experience. As I conclude, I ask the question again, who are you becoming? Are you giving yourself to be seen and known, risking for the sake of friendship and community in this place with these people? Look around. This is your family. This is the family that God has put you in to give and to live with, to love, to be shaped and formed by, to become the truest version of yourself and who God wants you to be. I believe that with word, we find the most palpable expression of the gospel in the church. And it is in this place that God invites us to participate. The spirit of God is with us and we are called to be with each other. And together we can become like Jesus because Jesus dwells in his body. Jesus dwells in you and in me. And it will be his good work in us, shaping us and transforming us to become like him. Umuntu, kubuntu, kubantu.